You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, this evening Isaiah is teaching us about the preaching of the New Testament. He does this in three different parts and perhaps a fourth. Uh, The three parts are this. He defines the content of the New Testament, the effects of the New Testament, and then he talks about a very special promise that the Lord attaches to it. And then finally, as you heard, the lesson ends with an image of comfort, depicting what you gain by faith in these words. Now, the New Testament's preaching is distinct and different from everything else that you hear in the world, everything you hear from the voices that fill your ears with human discoveries and secrets and wisdom. It's also unlike anything you've ever heard from Moses and those who have the office of Moses, who command you to live a godly and virtuous life, to do good things, that kind of stuff. Then what sets the New Testament apart? Isaiah speaks plainly. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. The preaching of comfort isn't for those people who are proud. It's for the terrified. It's for the troubled. It's for those people who are weighed down by their guilt and the bitter knowledge of their sins. Now, before these crushed souls have a chance to plead their cause before God, God does something amazing. And this is the New Testament. He speaks first to sinners. He gets in the first word, and that, my friends, is mercy. It turns out that when the Lord speaks, His breath will not consume you. Rather, it is by it that the Lord establishes you, and He establishes all His saints of the New Testament forever. The first part of Isaiah's sermon talks about the content of this New Testament preaching. And the Lord says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, what is this warfare and how has it ended? This is the warfare of men set at enmity with their God, their Creator. By disobedience, by sin. This is the warfare of men set against their own brothers and sisters by their hatred, jealousy, by their envy. We were conceived and born into this war by nature, children of wrath. This is not a battle and a war that we can wage and win. That's because we're not standing under the wrath and the anger and the spite of a mere creature, but the wrath and the anger of God himself. With words on the edge of despair, Moses asks, Who considers the power of your anger, O Lord, and your wrath according to the fear of you? We can't even begin to comprehend how much, how much this anger and wrath threatens to consume sin and unrighteousness. And the sad truth is that we deserve it. St. Paul writes, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
our first parents, and yes, we ourselves are convicted in this sin. And this is the sin of suppressing the truth of God's word by two things, really, our pride and our unbelief. Claiming to be wise, we became fools. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. We would rather worship at the altars of demons than to fear and love and trust in the Lord our God. We were tempted into thinking that making ourselves like God, we were tempted into thinking that uh, trying to obtain a creaturely freedom apart from God was something to be good and desired. But in fact, when we chased after that lie and fell into that lie, we found that it was nothing but tyranny. Tyranny under the devil. Captivity to the doctrine of works and our vain hope of hiding from God's footsteps in a bush with fig leaves to cover our shame. When the footsteps approach, when God comes for us, our conscience accuses. We remember that the wages of sin is death. And the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, and so on. Those who do such things will not enter the kingdom of God. This warfare is ended. God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Again, St. Paul writes, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And again, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were his enemies... For if while we were his enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Jesus' blood is the ransom price that has reconciled you to God. And his death has paid the debt of your guilt in full. When Jesus is risen from the dead, it promises that, yes, you will also rise from the dead, but it also promises this, that the blood price that Jesus paid upon the cross, the value of his death, his sacrifice that that, that absorbed all of the anger and the wrath of God, when his Father raises him from the dead, when Jesus himself takes up his own life, that means that there's nothing left to pay. No more can be given to justify sinners in God's sight. And in short, all this means is that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your iniquity, it is pardoned. And you have received double from the Lord's hand for all your sins. Not in terms of God's anger, but of course, in terms of that God took all your guilt and sins upon himself. But more than just wiping your slate clean, right? Jesus also gave you his own righteousness, his own perfection the own smiling face of the Father upon the Son, He gives to you, God's adopted children. This is the beautiful content of the New Testament's preaching, and it is summed up in this. It is Jesus, 
His cross, His blood, His death, His resurrection, and your salvation. Now, what is the effect of this preaching when it strikes your ear? What happens? Isaiah says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, a curious thing happens here when we think about the effect of what happens when the gospel comes to us. It, 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 in fact, what needs to come first is Moses. It's kind of funny to think about that when the New Testament comes and the preaching of Christ comes, that it doesn't destroy or obliterate Moses. Instead, what's assumed is that Moses has already been there, preaching to you, tearing down your mountains, those high places that you have built up in your own hearts where you've set up all kinds of different idols. Who knows what they are? (laughs) Isaiah knows that Moses must come first. You see, the gospel doesn't destroy the law, but it must be distinguished from it. The law must come first to tear down our idols, because Jesus would find us in the depths, in our contrition, in our sadness in our near despair, in thinking that that God has merely wanted to destroy us by his righteousness. But then comes Jesus, the preaching of the cross. And the effect of this preaching is exaltation, being lifted up, being taken out of the grave, literally, the valley, and being placed up in the high places where Christ himself sits at the Father's right hand. There's another word that we use for this, this leveling of the Christian heart. It's called justification. Now, all of you engineers out there, out there know what justification means, technically. It means that you bring something to level, right? And that is exactly what God's words of law and gospel do. They, they take you down from where you shouldn't be, but they also lift you up. Not because of anything that you have done or said on your own part. It lifts you up for for Christ's sake. That is the effect of the preaching of the cross. The effect is your justified heart. Now, if the content of this preaching is the cross and the effect is repentance and faith unto eternal life, we can still ask ourselves the question, why should we think that these words, these breaths that are uttered upon the lips of men have any different effect or power or authority than anything else that I may hear in the world. Well, the Lord attaches at this point a very special promise to his word. The Lord says to Isaiah, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, I think you can imagine how much uh, the breath of grasses work. Apparently, according to the scientists, uh, grass, you know, sucks in carbon dioxide and breathes out oxygen. 
but it in fact takes so much oxygen for us to breathe that the Lord has planted all over the earth vast, immense forests, right? And yet, for as vast and as immense as these forests are, it only takes a, a few moments, really, if they get dry enough, for them to be consumed by a wildfire. In the same way, it is this way with the, uh, you know, the Lord's anger against sin. You and I are like grass. Our breath isn't worth much. But then again, the breath that you hear preached from a Christian pulpit, the breath that you hear spoken from the altar of Christ, that you hear pronounced over a baby who is being baptized with water, This isn't a breath that consumes with fire. It is the word of the Lord that stands forever. And this word of the Lord that withstands judgment, that withstands the the day of Christ's return in great glory, when he comes to judge the quick and the dead, this word that alone will stand on that day is spoken over you. It is given to you. It is promised to you. The Lord says to you that my word will stand forever. Trust in this word. By faith in what God says, you have obtained the Lord's promised comfort. Now, the text concludes with an image, or perhaps an icon of sorts. It's a tangible and a tactile demonstration of the New Testament Yes, the Lord comes with might. As, the, as uh, Isaiah says, his arm rules before him. And in Hebrew, it conveys the sense of strength. His strong arm is before him, you know. But when he arrives, you don't find a strong arm bearing a sword to cut down and to destroy. Instead, you find a strong arm that opens, that gently gathers the lambs, that picks them up and carries them in his bosom and gently leads those that are with young. It's good for us to think about and to meditate on the fact that when Jesus, the creator of the stars of night, stepped forth from his kingly hall, from the virgin's womb, he wasn't met by great dignitaries or powerful men. He was met by shepherds. Those were his guests. Mild men who tended their flocks by night. Now, this is wonderful because to be a shepherd is to be two things at the same time that are seemingly opposed to one another, at least as we normally think about it. To be a shepherd is to be both strong and gentle. The shepherd has to fight off the wolves. Perhaps he even has to die in the process. And yet the shepherd cannot raise his voice against the sheep. Otherwise, he would scatter them. And so it is with Jesus and his preaching of the New Testament. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus' voice is your comfort. It is your peace. His once crucified arms holds you close to himself. 
Sin and death cannot touch you. This is the preaching of the New Testament. The Lord grant us faith to follow our good shepherd always. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.